This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. Precepts and Putin Dharma and Karma Dharma trumps karma, but it is not an escape. Consequences come. Last Sunday, we performed an initiation ceremony called Jukai Tokudo in Japanese. We had an international visitor and a couple of other candidates who were ready and willing to receive the initial precepts of Zen, declaring themselves Soto Zen Buddhists. We will do so again in November of this year, which is our Founders Month, honoring Matsuoka Roshi, our founding teacher. It occurred to me that in this context, with all the consternation and pontificating over Ukraine, now segueing into the dismal fatigue syndrome of becoming yesterday's news, we might revisit the fundamental question I raised for our Sunday Dharma Dialogue a few weeks ago. What the hell is wrong with Vladimir Putin? You may have participated in this discussion, so apologies in advance for any redundancy, but these points bear repeating. It is an inexcusable but seemingly inevitable scenario that we become fatigued at the repetition of atrocities, as if the victims being killed and maimed today are somehow not as worthy of our attention, the horror not as shocking as we registered at the beginning of the aggression. As someone once said at the screaming of lobsters being boiled alive, they are used to it. But in light of the aspirational aspect of the precepts, even this tragedy takes on deeper meaning. In approaching this particular train wreck as a subject for Dharma, I was careful to couch my terms, explaining that what is the fundamental question in Zen rather than why or how, with who, when, and where being pretty self-evident. Who the hell does Vladimir Putin think he is would suffer from focusing on the wrong question, personalizing the issue to too great a degree. Hell is also carefully chosen in that, according to classic Zen philosophy, we human beings make our world into hell or heaven and reap the karmic consequences thereof. Wrong is also understood to reside in the realm of right views and thoughts, as well as speech, action, and livelihood, the social side of the Eightfold Path, with right mindfulness, effort, and meditation rounding out the inner personal dimension of our all-too-human existence. In Zen, all opinions are not equal, and all teachings do not lead to nirvana. I thought it might be worthwhile to consider Vladimir Putin's behavior and the attitudes that it seems to betray in the light of the Buddhist precepts, which many of us take up as guidelines or reminders, touch points to return to from time to time, as we witness our own actions as well as those of others. 
There is a hoary mem in Buddhism that government leaders, one of the four benefactors we appreciate in the meal chant, are in their position of power by virtue of merit accumulated in past lives. So the only set of criteria we can hold them to are those of Buddhist morality or ethics, or shila. Which begs the question, does this mean that the millions of dollars spent campaigning are basically a waste of time and treasure? And as good Buddhists, aren't we supposed to avoid discussing the faults of others? How does the behavior of Putin, as well as President Trump and others in leadership roles, hold up in comparison to the admonitions of the Buddhist precepts? First, we must remember that the precepts of Zen have a history of their own. In India and China, they may have been expressed and understood differently. Those we receive in modern times convey the current rendering of their meaning, sometimes translated as morality, but ethical conduct is probably more appropriate. It should also be mentioned in passing that Vladimir Putin is purportedly a Christian, so whatever precepts, lowercase p, he may be following, would not necessarily resemble those of Buddhism or Zen. The quotes regarding precepts in Zen are taken from an essay by Shohaku Okamura Roshi, one of my lineage teachers, in the Soto Zen journal Dharma I. This is a recommended online source of information of a scholarly nature. For those of us practicing Zen in the West, its masthead shown below. One of the first factoids that Okamura Roshi points out is that there are variations in the precepts given to Zen practitioners over time, depending on factors such as lineage and the country. The scholars tell us that Master Dogen could not have received the 16 precepts he handed down to us in our initiation and formal ceremonies today, as they were not done that way in China. Whether he modified those he received from his Tendai masters or cobbled together his best interpretation of the precepts he felt inclined to transmit as bodhisattva principles, I lead to further scholarship. Quoting the journal, Dogen Zenji received only the Bodhisattva precepts. Dogen Zenji, 1200-1253, the founder of Japanese Soto school, originally became a monk in the Japanese Tendai tradition in 1213. Therefore, he received only the Mahayana precepts. According to his biography, Dogen had some difficulty receiving transmission to practice in a Chinese monastery. This was because he had not received the Vinaya precepts, which was a requirement to be recognized as a Buddhist monk in China. However, he did not receive the Vinaya precepts. To his disciples and lay students, Dogen Zenji only gave the 16 precepts that were called Busso Shoden Bosatsu Kai the bodhisattva precepts that have been correctly transmitted by Buddhas and ancestors. The nature of the bodhisattva precepts we receive in Soto Zen tradition is quite different from that of the Vinaya precepts. 
Okamura Roshi quotes one of those seemingly contradictory statements that appear so often in Zen literature, this one from the Brahmanet Sutra. And in the introduction of the Ten Major Precepts, the Sutra says, At that time, when Shakyamuni Buddha sat beneath the Bodhi tree and attained unsurpassable awakening, he first set forth the Bodhisattva Pratimoksha. Okamura goes on to make the literal case about this claim. Pratimoksha is the text of the precepts, and here it refers to the Bonmo-kyo. This means that the Bodhisattva precepts were established as soon as the Buddha attained unsurpassable awakening, and even before he began to teach. Historically, this is not true. The Buddha did not establish any precepts or regulations before people made mistakes. In the Vinaya text, the stories explaining why the different precepts were made were recorded. When we read these stories, we can see that the Buddhist Sangha was a gathering of actual human beings. People made all sorts of mistakes even though they aspired to study and practice the Dharma under the Buddha's guidance. So the Vinaya, the rules and regulations covering behavior within the original order, obviously evolved over time, like any other organizational protocols. The main rule governing the harmonious community, or Sangha, is, of course, harmony. Most communities we belong to are anything but harmonious, and even Zen groups are known to become rancorous from time to time. Human nature raises its head. But the bit about Buddha establishing the Pratimoksha in Zazen that night, I think we have to take on faith. What transpired within his experience in meditation was, and is, the essential meaning of the precepts. As Master Dogen is said to have asked, what precept is not fulfilled in Zazen? If we take the precepts as primeval and natural, built into existence and to be discovered, not made up, we can accept that translating them into language and written form is a mere approximation of their true meaning. This is why they seem impossible at first glance. They live in the realm of being, not doing. Ceremonially, Zen precepts include and are preceded by a repentance verse and taking refuge in the three treasures of Buddhism. Repentance At a precept ceremony in the Soto Zen tradition, first we make repentance by reciting the following verse. All the twisted karma ever created by me, sense of old, through beginningless greed, anger, and, delu and ignorance, and born of my body, speech, and thought, I now make complete repentance of it all. There is another repentance verse taken from Samatha Bhadra Sutra that says, The ocean of all karmic hindrances rises solely from delusive thoughts. If you miss 
wish to make repentance sit in an upright posture and be mindful of the true nature of reality. All faults and evil deeds are like frost and dew. The sun of wisdom enables them to melt away. This verse clearly shows that our precepts are based on awakening to reality and wisdom of such reality. Okamura is now leading us gently by the hand to the realization of the concrete reality of the precepts. The Three Refuges We then take refuge in the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. The Buddha is the one who awakened to reality. The Dharma is reality itself, the way things truly are. The Sangha are the people who aspire to study and living according to the teaching of the reality of all beings. We also take refuge or return to our original nature, which is called Buddha or awakened. What we awaken to is the Dharma, which is ever-present, but does not depend upon our knowing it. The Sangha members are primarily vested in awakening to this same truth, or it is not truly a Zen community. The Threefold Pure Precepts Next we receive the Threefold Pure Precepts. 1. The Precept of Embracing Moral Codes 2. The Precept of Embracing Good Deeds 3. The precept of embracing all living beings. These three points are the direction we walk on the Bodhisattva path. These are often translated as do no harm, do only good, and do good for others. And yet the truth of the precepts is that they are beyond doing in the conventional sense. If we find what we are looking for in our practice, the precepts become our natural intention, but we make mistakes and resolve to try harder. Eventually, our behavior may become consonant with the precepts by virtue of practicing Zazen. The Ten Major Precepts The Ten Major Precepts are 1. Do not kill 2. Do not steal 3. Do not engage in improper sexual conduct. 4. Do not lie. 5. Do not deal in intoxicants. 6. Do not criticize others. 7. Do not praise self and slander others. 8. Do not be stingy with the Dharma or property. 9. Do not give way to anger. And 10. Do not disparage the three treasures. If this sounds like a laundry list of do's and don'ts or the Ten Commandments phrased a little differently, there is a kernel of truth in that. But we take up the way of following Zen voluntarily, not under threat of punishment by a vengeful God. They are not merely literal. In that interpretation, some are impossible. We come to understand what they mean through the tried and true process 
of trial and error. Zen and the precepts are one. The Bodhisattva precepts we receive in the Soto Zen tradition are also called Zenkai, Zen precepts. This means that our Zazen and the precepts are one. In our Zazen practice, we put our entire being on the ground of true reality of all beings, instead of the picture of the world that is a creation of our minds. By striving to keep the precepts in our daily lives, we strive to live being guided by our Zazen. So what does all this have to do with design thinking? Design thinking starts with problem definition and proceeds to problem solving through design build actions. Zen starts with Buddha's definition of the central problem of existence as sentient beings and offers a method for arriving at solutions, Zazen. In design, we speak of design intent and strive to maintain its integrity through all the trials and tribulations that any existent object, program, or system is subject to, including the test of time. Each of these solutions tends to have a weak link in the chain, which is where it eventually breaks down. The design approach is to take the failure as instructive and redesign. The Zen approach is fall down seven times, get up eight. Considering the precepts in the light of design intent, we can see that they are meant to foster harmony in the social dimension, in transactions with other individuals and groups. They shine a bright light on the futility of having, quote, designs on conquering another country especially in the context of impermanence and imperfection. Whatever gains are realized are good only for whatever is left of one lifetime. Which brings us back to our starting place. Is Putin evil or just ignorant? Zen holds that the only thing that finally accompanies you to the grave and affects life after death is the deeds committed in this life Whatever crusade you mount to defend your actions may be based on a category error. To die in the service of a cause greater than yourself may indeed be considered a noble deed. To kill others in the service of a cause you consider greater than or glorifying to yourself, while cowering behind your local cronies, is a crime in karmic as well as human terms. Putin may be surprised to discover that his reward in heaven is not what he anticipates. He may be surprised to find that that kind of heaven lasts about 15 minutes, as an old master once said. He may be disappointed to find that life moves on without him as he conceives himself, and that any actual afterlife, including his potential rebirth, is not one of his choosing. He may be surprised that karma is not a respecter of persons, however powerful they may regard themselves, and that the Soviet Union, as well as Mother Russia, do not really exist, 
except in the fevered imagination of a limited mind. Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.